0: Hey, what's up, everybody? Before we start this episode, I want to tell you about our new partners, Carney Sando and Associates. Carney Sando and Associates helps educators find jobs that support their goals as teachers and school administrators. An education recruiting firm working with K-12 independent private and charter schools across the globe, Carney Sando provides a free personalized job search service. When you sign up, You are paired with a highly qualified placement associate who will coach you through the search process, review your resume, and advocate on your behalf to schools you're interested in. With a 45-year history of placing talented people in over 1,800 different schools, you can trust the team to find you roles that fit what you are looking for. When it comes to job seeking, relationships matter, and Carney Sando has the connections you need to find your ideal position. Visit CarneySando.com/tudope to schedule a time to speak with a member of their recruitment team. That's CarneySando.com/tudope. C-A-R-N-E-Y-S-A-N-D-O-E dot com slash too dope, and you can schedule a time to speak with a member of their recruitment team. The 720. Is there another area code in Denver? I, no, I don't think I don't, so. No, I don't think there is either. Um, Which is Denver, Colorado. We are out here. The sun is still sort of... It's not dark yet, Kev. It's not dark. It's not completely uh, dark. It's such a beautiful thing. We are in fall spring. It is a beautiful thing. Welcome back to episode 116 of two dope teachers and a microphone. How y'all doing out there today or tomorrow or whenever you're listening to this? Um, we are here remixing the conversation on race, power, and education. If you are new to the show, where you been? Where you been? Yeah, at? what are you doing with your life? What are you doing with your podcast? What are Go you through doing with your life? your entire podcast feed, and we will guarantee you that this is the most fire podcast
1: there. Right, Kev? That's we it. can say that, right? That's it. Definitely. Absolutely.
0: No doubt that. about it. No doubt. Um, I am in a really good mood, and I'll say why in just a second. Um, but first, I want to invite you all to follow the show, if you haven't yet. Um, at two dope teachers on twitter on instagram on facebook where else are we we're sort of on tiktok you can follow us you're not going to see anything that we do there we got to work on our tiktok we do we got to work on our tiktok game hey my friend chris deer who is the tiktok king um louisiana teacher of the year 2020 is gonna give a tutorial you want to come yeah yeah we'll We'll have him uh, give us a tutorial. He is a New Orleans Pelicans fan, um, and so we'll I, have to kind of move you know past nobody that. can be perfect. Nobody can be perfect except and for us. Except for us. Except for us. We're pretty damn close. Pretty damn close, wouldn't you say, Kev? That's what um, my mama
1: told me. That's what my
0: <laughs> actually my mother frequently says that she raised perfect kids. There and, we go. And um, we go. Never know if she and your mama sarcastic. don't like.
1: She my mom don't
0: lie, but my mom is known to be a little sarcastic. <laughs> uh, hi, mom. My mother actually listens to the first eight minutes of the podcast. And there we go. Her adult ADD takes her in other directions. Yo, um, so I'm in a pretty good mood. But Kev, before I talk about why I'm in a good mood, how's it like in them education streets? You know,
1: it's it's, it's, it's a tough time. <laughs> goes, you, you, know. might, you You might know. remember. This is a tough time. It's a struggle. So I want to remind all of my educators trying to get to uh spring break or if you've gotten to spring break yeah, and now you're back at it at this recording kevin
0: is about four days away from four spring days break. away i can
1: taste it but uh, yeah. hold it down we got this you know like <laughs> there's a lot of stress yeah. but you know get excited because it's almost testing season <laughs> yeah. and you know what no matter how bad
0: things may feel, at least you didn't trip over your own bigotry when you were asked to define woke. Ah. There you go. There you go. That's critical. That's like critical. That, I mean, so I, I will say there. I'm not even going to say the person's name because this. I I don't believe in dragging people unreasonably. This person has been dragged, so I will not say their name. But I will say there are a couple of things that um, are sort of encouraging about this whole thing. A I do not anticipate that I will ever freeze up like that when I'm asked to comment on something that from, that I wrote. (laughs) That's right. If you ask me about something someone else wrote, then there's a good chance that I'll be like, uh, well, um, ah, so the thing like, but if you ask me about something I wrote, I will tell you that I, am probably going to be pretty familiar with something that I wrote, which brings me to my second point. Let's hear it. If any of you in Tudope Nation have ever felt insecure about the possibility that you can write something that will get published, I really hope that this gives you a little bit of encouragement because if that can get published, baby, you can get published. Am I right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, you may not have reactionary right-wing organizations funding you, but that's a whole other thing. Um, anyway, <laughs> so the street—so you're saying this, this, the streets is hot right now. The education streets is hot. It's definitely hot. It's definitely um, hot. What's streets. the hottest thing happening right now? Uh,
1: teachers. Teachers <laughs> are like about fed up. They're about to have it. Yeah. They, they, they They're getting close to that. You know, where where people are like, I'm quitting. I'm moving on. Yeah. I feel like that's. It's a tough time. It's a tough time. It's it's definitely, I think, you know, the weather starts to change. The kids get a little more excited and energetic. It's just a tough time.
0: Teachers are ready to actually enjoy that weather. Like there's something about it being cold and snowy and miserable and dark where you're like, well, there's nothing else to do. (laughs) We'll we'll go to school. But no, and I feel like I've been hearing this since the beginning of the year that, it's kind of been sort of intense. Um, for me, for me, it's just really interesting because I think like on the one hand, the district is tasking me and a lot of other people to solve this teacher attrition issue, right? Um, to come up with recruitment and retrent- retention strategies. There's, there's a limit to what programs and policy can do. Like at the end of the day, it's like, are we inviting people into a space where the conditions are good and humanizing and supportive and that's headed in the right direction? And I'll be honest with you, I'm not always sure that that's where we're going. I love my department, shout out, Internal Pathways and Development, but unfortunately we don't run the whole district and so you see what's happening in other spaces. And man, it's tough. It's tough out there. I feel
1: guilty, bro. I feel guilty for not being there with y'all. Don't, 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 uh, don't feel guilty.
0: Man, I left, I left the struggle, you know. Don't feel guilty.
1: Kinds. Don't yeah. feel guilty. Asia All would right. say you you liberated yourself. Well, almost, <laughs> halfway. halfway. Asia,
0: Asia don't know my life. <laughs> you don't know my struggle? I'm not liberated from anything. <laughs> you don't know my struggle? I'm liberated from, you know what I'm liberated from? Is I'm liberated from having to tell people when I come and go. That's actually pretty beautiful. That, that's and a good thing. That's like
1: the first step. Like, Can you and I don't, leave and get there when you want? Like, yeah, I'm jealous and, of that. Very envious well, like, of that lifestyle.
0: And I can really say that it should be that way for teachers too. Like, no, you shouldn't be able to just teach your first period whenever you feel like it. Obviously, there's Wait, school schedules. No, bro, bro. <laughs> wait, are you having class tonight?
1: <laughs> right now. So it's <John's laughs> like, about to start. We're <laughs> going to be
0: on Zoom, y'all. Uh, I'm late. I'm late. I'm, I'm Period late. one. <laughs> uh, I had this great uh, interaction with a professor when I was at CU where I'm like rushing across campus to get to class. Because I don't know if you know the CU campus, but if you have a class. I know
1: it. I know it yeah. pretty well. There's some right. parts that are where. Right. So if you have
0: a class over in Munzinger and you have to somehow get all the way to <laughs> like, where was I trying to go? I think I was trying to go to Helms. It wasn't much oh It was like, it was even further, but it was yep. like far. And so yeah. I'm like running to get to class. And because I didn't go home between classes, I had everything I owned with me. Yep. yep. Um, and as I'm rushing, I run into the professor and he's not rushing. And I made this comment. I was like, oh, I'm glad I'm not the only one late to class. And he looks at me, kind of smirks, and he says, well, class can't start without me. (laughs) And I'm like, that's a beautiful thing. So you should say that to your, no, don't say that to your kids. But I will say (laughs) that I think that the over-policing of teacher's arrival time and departure time is something that people just need to be quiet about because, like, you should have the flexibility to, like, if you don't teach, until nine o'clock why do you have to performatively be there for two yeah, that, hours
1: that time beforehand if i have meetings like, i'll be at the meetings but yeah, yeah if i have a meeting i'll be there if i have things
0: to do if i have to make copies i'll be there to make copies you best believe i'm gonna be there That's to make it. copies but if i'm just gonna be there to be there for the amorphous what if we need you like nah and nah. i'm gonna go after my last class if i ain't got no meetings. Like. You know, beat that high school traffic. (laughs) Ideally. Yeah. But I'll tell you why I'm happy, man. I'm happy
1: because Day Lost catalog is out there. There we go. Shout out. Shout out. We lost real one. There's we we, we that was
0: so sad that like it felt like the industry was just so cruel with that. It's like yeah, we'll wait until a couple of weeks after we lose the man to actually release all this stuff. But it was it was interesting cuz I was listening to this um podcast episode of On the Media and it talks about how like copyright infringements were really just a thing that was manufactured and only when it came to hip hop because and you as a musician know this, right? Yep. That like the the thin line between inspiration imitation and repurposing is really fuzzy right Yep. and there's even a case to be met to, to be made that when like when when tribe sampled uh lou reed's song like there's a case to be made that people were listening to lou reed who were not going to listen to lou reed in the first place right? right so That's it's right. just interesting so check it out it's um it's something about how uh, how copyright law um, targets hip hop and black music. And I thought it, I thought it was really good. It was two white guys talking, but, you know, I can't be picky, I guess. Yeah. Check it um, out. Yep. Yeah. Yo, are you excited for this interview we're going to
1: put in front of the people? I think it's a dope one and a timely topic, and uh, I think people will find it beneficial, like everything on this podcast. I mean,
0: everything is like, it might be in a needle in a haystack and the beneficialness, um, but it'll be beneficial.
1: Why is it beneficial? You know, I'm gonna, well, I'm going to interview well, you right now. You know, first of all, I think we as educators, we've got a lot on our shoulders and the yeah. topic I think is very relevant to how I think a lot of educators feel at times. I know I feel that way with my sixth graders and it's all happening at once, right? And so I think it'll be, a topic that a lot of educators will be able to relate to in terms of what we go through on a day to day basis. But also, I think what I like about it, too, is that it gives us some ideas, right? And we're all about ideas of what we can do to help, yeah, we help maintain and get through um, wow. this tough work, right? For for however long we can maintain it. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, re- that's really well put. And I think that I really so when they reached out to us about uh coming on the show, I was I was super excited because I really liked the the premise. So the book is called uh, educators as first responders: a teacher's guide to adolescent development and mental health, Grade six through twelve. So, with apologies to our ECE through five listeners, I think there are still some good nuggets in here, but this really does focus on the adolescent experience, which really um, which is something that really resonates with Kevin and me. Um, the author is Deborah Offner. Dr. Deborah Offner is a clinical psychologist with expertise in adolescent development, student mental health, and school life. She serves as consulting psychologist at Beacon Academy in Boston, a 14-month program between eighth and ninth grade that prepares students from communities with limited resources for entry into independent day and boarding high schools. So this is um, from the independent school private school movement. She also provides ongoing professional consultation to several independent middle and secondary schools. Dr. Offner maintains an active clinical practice where she works with middle, high school, and college students and their families. Um, so she's in the Boston area. This is um, a really timely topic because as uh, teachers are being being pressured both implicitly and explicitly to be these first responders, Dr. Offner has some really smart things to say about it.
1: Yep. Yep.
0: Yep. For sure. So so without any further ado. Uh, we'll pass you on. We ask her the questions. We ask um the, the ways in which it impacts our kids and communities of color. We ask about the drain on teachers who are acting as first responders, and most importantly, um, we get a pretty great top five. Y'all might be a little surprised. Yep. So it's a
1: unique here, one. Check it out. That's
0: right. Here we get go. Ready. Episode episode one sixteen. Two dope teachers and a mic. Dr. Deborah Offner educators as first responders, enjoy.
1: Hey, everybody. We are here with Dr.
0: Deborah Offner, the author of Teachers as First Responders. Dr. Offner, how are you? I'm good. Thank you so much. And, you know, guess what? I just completely misquoted the name of the book, Educators okay. as First Responders. This is A Meaningful Difference, A Teacher's Guide to Adolescent Development and Mental Health, grades 6, six through 12. I'll ask you again, how are you this evening?
2: I'm really good. Thank you. It's. It's. it's I'm really excited to be here.
0: Nah, we're super, to have you. we're excited. And, uh, you know, I think that when you, when you reached out to us with this, uh, with this book that you've written, um, I think you've just resonated so much with kind of our experiences of the last couple of years. Kev, what about you? What do you think about that whole idea of an educator as a first responder?
1: I mean, it's, it's like one of those titles that just gets you because it's very real. It's like, and I think we talk in education about like all the different jobs we have, but I think since the pandemic, we really are like you feel like you're responding. But there's all sorts of stuff. Like, I always have to have band-aids, right? I always right. have to have snacks. I always have right. to be able to like deal with some drama because I that's be only when he was working doctor. with me. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, only yeah, when yeah, he was yeah. working with yeah, me. Yeah, that's that's not the students, <laughs> that's Gerardo. <laughs> I, need, I
0: need a snack. I need a band-aid. I got some drama. <laughs> that's a lot happen- Actually, Kev,
1: that's that's sort of funny how true that is. You're like, wow. <laughs> Not it's the band-aids.
0: I didn't frequently No, you know, you're, you're,
1: you've never needed a lot of band-aids. And I love this, like, cause at times, like, and I think this goes into it and we will get into it, but like at times the cuts appear really small to us, but right. to the kids, yeah. they're actually really big. It's a yeah. very big deal. Yeah, absolutely. So
0: Dr. Offner, we're going to totally talk about this book, but not so much that people don't have to go out and get it because we do need educators talking to educators about these various issues. We need that space for folks who are working in buildings. And I I haven't worked in a building this year. And it's wild how much I can feel a difference um, in some of my health and that kind of thing. Um, But let's start off really quickly. Tell us a little bit about yourself, about um, just your path into education and sort of what it is that informs the work that you now do.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, I started off getting a degree in clinical psychology and I really liked working with kids. Um, And when I first finished my graduate program, I ended up as a um, professor of psychology at a college in Massachusetts where a lot of my students were education majors. And so they were taking psychology to learn about child development to take to the classroom. And I loved those students. They were super earnest. And, you know, a lot of them were gifted. They really had like a natural way with kids. And Mm -hmm. then I just ended up from there. I worked a lot in college counseling centers with students. I taught college. And then I ended up working in a high school in Boston for 14 years. Um, And I loved being around the kids, but also the teachers. They were my friends. They were my close colleagues and allies and partners. Um, And then I bounced to another school where I've been for a few years. Um, But I just love being around learning and education. And again, teachers as well as
1: kids.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That, that's I mean, so in your, your capacity, were you were you a school psychologist? Is that what you yeah, do? Were so, you teaching courses? Yeah,
2: I was at a private school. So it was called like a school counselor. Um, and I did it. a little bit of everything. I mean, um, I definitely did individual counseling. But a lot of my time was spent consulting to the teachers about the students they were advising or teaching, because the kids would go to them, they wouldn't necessarily come to me or to the dean of students or to the of school they'd go to their favorite teacher and that is you know what I remember from growing up and you know with my friends doing that and that's what I hear at schools everywhere is kids go to their favorite teacher even if that teacher is 25 years old and doesn't know anything about depression or anorexia (laughs) you know um, yeah. or family issues but it's like that's who they like and so i would often help teachers figure out what can i say or do when i am working with this student when do i need to be alarmed when do i need to bring in you know the troops um yeah. and helping teachers be sort of on the ground with the kids in a more effective way and i still yeah. do you know it, so, with all the schools that i work with
0: yeah so you're saying that that one hour ferpa training we do is not quite enough and that one that 45 <laughs> minute mandatory reporting trainer with quiz questions at the end doesn't fully prepare all of us for what is coming.
2: Exactly. It doesn't. (laughs) And and there's so (laughs) many things that come up that you, you know, I think unless you've worked in a school and obviously all three of us have, you can't even imagine the kinds of things that come up day to day that you've never even thought of, you know, that can happen to kids and to families. And so it's just really important for teachers to be confident because they're the ones the kids trust the most, really. Yeah, this
0: this makes me think of a really funny story. Kev, is it inappropriate for me to tell a funny story right now about that?
1: I mean, no, because it's the real work, right? That's <laughs> what happens, and sometimes it's funny. Sometimes Okay, it's funny. so like,
0: so this happened in February of two thousand. I'd been okay. on the job for three weeks, right? Yes. Um, and I so I, I was such a newbie. I was such a novice teacher. Teacher, that I couldn't be trusted to be alone with my students for a couple of class periods. Yeah. They're like, this kid needs a little bit of support. So let's have check on him.
1: A brilliant,
0: <laughs> Exactly. No, not check on me. Sit in my class with me while yes. I talk. <laughs> you can't even get checked. You're like, no, no. Gonna have a- it's like, so let's put the brilliant 29 year veteran Doris Dempsey in the room the with Mr. Munoz and she will help. And so she was helped. So, so she hadn't arrived yet. It was about seven o'clock in the morning. I had just come in and, and, um, and put my stuff down. Uh, one of my students walks in, reaches into his backpack, pulls out a bottle of crown Royal unopened, puts it on my desk. I'm 23 years old. (laughs) I'm brand new in the game. And I look at him. I'm like, okay, Uh, and I I think I was just speechless. I think he saw my jaw like hanging open. And he says, Mr. I have a real problem. I got this last night. And I can't, I can't drink it. I can't go there anymore. And I was like, No, that's great. That's great. Like, thank you. I appreciate it. And so (laughs) I absent mind. I hope, I'm glad this wasn't on my teacher of the year application. Um, <laughs> I mindedly said, okay, I got, got to get this outside. Kids are on the way. So I put it in my bottom desk drawer. Two weeks later, I'm looking for <laughs> tape and I'm like, where is the, oh my God. And so I like have to like, so I, I, I conceal it. I run it down to the principal and I'm like, I am so sorry. Like it's unopened. You'll see, here's the whole story. And he's like, and I feel like I feel like the same I feel like now I was in the kid's position. Yeah, the yeah, you're trying to explain. <laughs> principal's like, you did the right thing. I'm really glad you didn't open it. <laughs> um, so, you did the right thing. Cool. Apparently he puts it in his desk drawer. <laughs> and like a month later, <laughs> he discovers it. But I mean, it, it was it was definitely one of those moments where like and I didn't go to teacher school maybe they taught it in some teacher school but no they did not I wasn't
1: they did not. ready for that. that I wasn't
0: ready for nobody that nobody
1: got that there's so much so, you don't get <laughs> so, so that's, that's kind of what I think
2: example. of and just out of curiosity how old was that student
0: student was 17 years old yeah yeah So right, student no, was 17
2: don't expect that right. Yeah. right yeah it's real yeah. I, mean, I mean in,
0: in our In our students, I mean, even in that situation, like the students that we had served at that point, it was all an alternative school. So students were behind in credits. And then there were a whole bunch of reasons that they had fallen behind in credits. And so but, you know, even in a situation where I was told these are students who have experienced struggle, um, that was something I did not know would happen. uh, My third week as a teacher. So let's let's start with this question. Why is it important to frame the role of the educator as a first responder? You know, the things that you and Kevin both sort of discussed um, about what it is that, you know, the relationships between students and their favorite teachers, these are things that we we in the classroom and we in school buildings know. But why is this an important reframe, in your opinion?
2: Well, I think because... Um... It's something that, yes, teachers know and students know. you know, it's just it's sort of common knowledge. it's almost implicit. But I'm not sure that other people know. I'm not sure that parents know. I'm mm-hmm. not sure administrators always appreciate it because by the time things get to their desk or their office, it's often, you know, gone through a number of iterations and processing and things like that. Mm. Um, I think because teachers, for the most part, as I think you two were alluding to, aren't really prepared to serve in that role. You know, kids nope. look at, they see an adult. I mean, they saw, you know, that 17-year-old saw you as an adult. You were barely old enough to drink yourself, you know? At <laughs> so that point true, in time, right? And so you're sitting so there going like, I'm just out of college. I
0: definitely was not gonna be able to handle my crown royal, like if that's what we're <laughs> exactly. talking about. That <laughs> <way>. <laughs> a Beer and wine
2: cooler, with that but, exactly. but But I think, you know, that kid looked to you as an authority figure. And so it's a huge sort of, moral, ethical, psychological, emotional, social responsibility that teachers have and they're not necessarily trained for it. And so, you know, my idea when I work with schools and teachers is to help teachers feel more prepared and equipped because they are responding. They're, you're also the first ones to notice if there's a problem with a kid, not yep. everybody goes up to you and gives you a bottle of liquor. Some kids just come in looking tired, looking angry, yep. looking you know not clean, Um, not doing their homework, you know, whatever it is. And you're the ones that are seeing, you know, every day, what might be wrong with a kid more than other people in their life often. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, I, I, I notice that like all the time, you know, and I'll ask the kids, I'm like, you all right. You know, they'll always be a little shocked when I, you know, I'm I'm just like, you look a little tired, you don't, you know, you're not, or they're a little quieter, you know? And, And so I think about that, like, and, and just thinking about your title as first responders, like we are the people, if something is going on in kids' lives, a lot of times we are the first people, that classroom teacher is the first person who's going to notice it. And I've, I will tell you throughout my career, I brought like um, all of these I, um, concerns or noticings to my, uh, as we call them, our super special people. Our, uh, you know uh, oh ssps, I see what you SSPs did there. <laughs> right but but again like like this stuff has an effect on on me you know as an educator and like i start to think about like how like i carry this stuff at the end of the summer you know it takes a minute for me to decompress or if stuff is going on in our community or students are having challenges or talk to me you know, I think we carry that st- stuff with us. And I think that, that in an age where there are so many challenges to teaching, like, how have you seen those, like, impacts of, like, that, that added stress that teachers are carrying from being, like, just like our first responders have a lot of stress in their lives? Like, what, what, you, what have you seen, you know, in terms of educators?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. And I think you know what psychologists talk about is, is um vicarious trauma or secondary trauma, where you know you learn of a child's situation that's really upsetting or you know, a serious loss they've had, a family disruption, something um mental health-wise, and you you know experience a little bit of that vicariously, you know, by witnessing it, by supporting them. And the other thing we're seeing is what's called compassion fatigue, which is something that, you know, was a term invented more for sort of nurses and healthcare and hospice um, professionals, but that teachers are feeling it because the energy it takes, you know, just like you said, you're carrying that around, you're responding in the moment to a kid, being supportive, listening carefully, absorbing really upsetting stuff. And so I think I'm seeing both of those in, you know, faculty and staff at schools that I, talk to that it's a big um burden in a way even though the work is incredibly meaningful and gratifying at the same time
1: yeah
0: yeah that's, yeah. that's the kind of thing they tend to throw at us right where it's where it's like yeah
1: but it's so rewarding it's so <laughs> rewarding isn't that how that works kevin what were you gonna say but no like it's 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 just funny because i think this is something that we talk about and these are like i'm i'm a part of our um our teachers union, our association here. And, and, and I was part of the bargaining team. Right. And one of the things that we, like both sides have a desire for is to retain educators. Right. And, and these are sometimes the intangible things that like, I don't know what you do. Like, I mean, I think, I think in, in some cases I've seen um, extended like mental health services or things like that but like what advice do you have to districts like on helping teachers and educators to deal with this kind of burden or like what have you seen that has been done creatively like out here that's helping with this stuff and we're
0: asking for our friends and for ourselves (laughs) (laughs) because i think i think that's such an important point yeah
2: Right. I mean, I I do talk with schools a lot and school leaders about how to support teachers. And I think that um, a lot of times, I mean, one of the things I've heard from teachers a lot, especially since the pandemic, is administrators and leaders have to have teachers' backs when it comes to the parent community. So that I think one of the things that happened in the pandemic was there were just so many times when parent and family interests were sort of diametrically opposed to teacher interests, right? I mean, if you think about school reopening and all that stuff, you know, those interests didn't line up and administrators were faced with, you know, having to please the constituents or, you know, the customers, right? As it were, yeah. Sometimes that happened at teachers' expenses. It happened a lot at teachers' expenses. And so, you know, one of the things that I've worked with school leaders on is making sure that you're communicating to parents about all that teachers are doing, how they're spending their time and when they're available and when they're not. Most parents have no idea how much time, you know, teaching is an 80 hour a week job and nobody oh, knows that, that you know, nobody knows that. And no. so I think administrators can communicate and say, this is the life in the day or, you know a week of one of our teachers and parents are shocked that, you know, you're grading papers all night and coaching sports on the week, you know that kind of thing. So dealing with parents, I think um, definitely having good mental health benefits. Um, providing time for people that they need personally, whether it's taking their kids to a doctor's appointment or going to the bathroom. You know, I, I think
1: yep, yep. Sort
2: of the hottest commodity that I've heard, time almost more than money. I mean, teachers that's are right. of what they should be, but but that's a given. I mean, I think most people who go into it recognize that it's a sacrifice.
1: Right. Um, yep.
2: Time And some autonomy and choice for any job is how you keep people from burning out, even if it's yeah. about things.
0: Yeah. I was reading, Um, I was reading Aaron Dignan's book, Brave New Work. And um, one of the things he talks about when it comes to compensation is yeah. that compensation is the bottom rung of the ladder, right? So you don't, you yeah. can't actually authentically offer these other benefits until you've addressed the compensation issue. But You you know, but to your point, you know, when you hear why people leave teaching, and and so this is anecdotal. I'm a I'm a baby researcher, and so I'm trying to be smart about how I do this. Mm -hmm. But anecdotally, what you don't hear people saying, it's just not enough money. Like typically,
2: people saying that. Yeah,
0: you don't. Even though it's true, but that's not why. That's Um, not the main reason. Speaking of being a researcher so, I'm in my second year of a doctoral program. And so one thing I'm really interested in is learning a little bit about how you conducted your research to to kind of get this story of educators as first responders out there. You've got you've got a clinical psychology degree, which I think is huge um, that, that this but I, I really want people to appreciate the work that went into this publication.
2: Sure. No, that's a really nice question. I don't think I've gotten that before. So, (laughs) I mean, so I would describe the research as qualitative, um, as contrasted with quantitative, right? So it wasn't, I didn't go out and give people questionnaires and, you know, do scales and rate things and add (laughs) You know, I did that in graduate school and that's yeah. not really my style. <laughs> and you're over <laughs> it. <Yep. laughs> yeah, definitely over it. Um, I love, I love I, I'm a big uh, sort of downstream consumer of data. So I yeah. like people's quantitative research, but I don't do yeah. my own. Um, yeah. my, my research, oh, my you know, calling it that it's, it was really my lived experience in schools and with colleagues and with students and in my practice with families and kind of trying, you know, every day to understand what, know what was working what wasn't working what the pressing issues were and how I could be helpful and I think for me I found that by supporting teachers and to some extent parents yeah give kids all kinds of support you know in an indirect way it wasn't just me the counselor or me the psychologist it was all the other adults could serve them better and I learned from my colleagues I mean that's The thing about being a psychologist and working in schools is, you know, I'm learning every day, every week. Like I never stop learning, you know, even at my age. So it's, it's super interesting and, you know, compelling.
0: Oh, that's good. No, I appreciate you answering that because I think that, um, I think that when, you know, we're in such an environment, right, where experts opinions are often dismissed. And, um, and I think it's important for folks to understand that, there is power in people's narratives. There is power in people's stories. Um, one question I have for you, and I've, I've been spending, wasting, spending, wasting a lot of my time <laughs> on uh, social media, fighting yeah. with people who, so part of the anti-CRT, anti-LGBTQ yeah. movement includes an attack on social emotional learning, as oh, yes. some yes. of these, these bad actors will say, well critical race theory is the ideology and sel is how it gets to your kids um (laughs) so one concern that i think kevin and i both have is is that you know we know that we are the first first people will not me anymore unless they come to the ninth floor of the admin building uh to find me (laughs) if they can get up there (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, but you know, w- one concern is that there's also this small, but vocal minority of people who are saying, stay away from my kids and looking to trap teachers and portray them as being inappropriate with kids and doing those kinds of things. How you may not have an answer to this, cause I have no idea what might be coming. How might teachers be able to navigate that reality where they know what families support for the most part, right. and they know what they're morally called to, but there's this dynamic out there that's just so toxic and harmful to teachers careers.
2: Yeah, it's true. And you know most of the schools that I work with have a more sort of liberal or progressive bent and community, yeah. but not all mm. uh, and and I have you know, encountered a couple of situations, Um, that were quite complicated either in a religious school situation where there were certain beliefs or values, you know, on the Christian, you know, mission of the school or history of the school um, that I think went against certainly some of the values that I had. I mean, not that I was an employee of the school, but, you know, to the faculty about or about the handbook or about their regulations or policies or things like that. Um, And, you know, so it does come up sometimes for me, um, and I really don't know, you know, how to address that. I mean, yeah. other than, you know, to be open to what parents have to say and to look to your administration to give you signals about, you know, what you are supposed to do, what yeah. what the what kind of statements the school is making to parents. Yeah. Um, and if a parent gives you a hard time about an issue that you feel you have no control over. Um, or that they seem kind of on a mission of their own to actually right. bump, bump it up to an administrator and not take it yeah. on yourself, because um, yeah. I don't think that usually ends well.
0: No, I think that's I think that's great advice, and I think it kind of loops back to what you said earlier about how critical it is that admins that building leaders support their teachers. Um, yes. We hear Kevin and I hear too many stories of a complaint comes in about a teacher and the leader of the school automatically assumes that the teacher was wrong and doesn't actually try to gather information in that way. And and I think also like teachers uh, and Kev, you can tell me if you agree with this. Teachers, it's really important that, you know, if you have a situation that you don't know how to handle, that you go to somebody that, you know, that is in a position to be helpful and just say, listen, this is, I need to know what our support systems are. And maybe you don't even wait till an incident happens where you're just kind of like first day of school when you're in those meetings that I miss so much, so much since I left (laughs) the classroom. (laughs) Um, you know, maybe one thing that's really important is to say, Hey, so kids often do come to us as teachers, um, with really sensitive things. If it's not some, a mandatory reporting situation, what are we empowered to do? Um, and that kind of thing. Does that sound like it's kind of on, on track
2: Oh, I think it's totally on track. And when I work with schools, especially at those opening meetings, I talk about, you know, who in your school do you go to? You know, and literally sometimes we'll put on the Google Slides, the name of the person, you know,
0: <laughs> because, because, yeah. because
2: in every one of those meetings, there's a bunch of brand new teachers and they're not going to remember anything from that meeting. That's right. that's yep. so right. They need to have a reference point, a list, a chain of command. You know, who do you go to? And, and my rule for teachers that I always say to have is, you know, over share or you know over consult in the beginning if you're getting information that you're not sure what it means from a child or a parent comes to you with a concern run it by someone if you don't have a faculty mentor that's assigned you know run it by your department chair your division head whatever you call it you know senior to you who has an administrative responsibility because they've got experience for the most part and they can direct you you know, somewhere to get help, or at least you've registered it so that if that thing comes back, you know, you've got someone helping you out.
1: Yeah, yeah it's funny because as you say that, I, I think I, one of like my go-tos, and, and I I was lucky to work uh, at both of the schools that I've worked in with the same school psychologist for a while. Oh, that's and, funny. <laughs> and, and, and I would lean on the school psychologist, like it was, like she was my go-to you know the person who, whenever like concerns or just like bouncing ideas back off, and it was it always helped, especially at DCIS, because the room was right down the hall for me, for a while. But but again, but she's always been a, a confidant and someone to really bounce ideas when students are having uh going through stuff. You know, and I think it's it's hard. It's always hard to figure out what is the right thing to do in this yeah. situation with kids. You know. Um, but, um, you know, and I, and back to being the first responders, but I want to I want to kind of shift us back in, in like as first responders. Right. In education, like yeah. at the Two Dope Teachers in a Mic podcast, we are big into hip hop. We love hip hop. And uh, <laughs> there's a classic song that we, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention talking about first responders called "911 is a joke by the Eminent <laughs> Group public enemy i didn't even think of that i didn't even think of that (laughs) if if we educators are first responders right how how does that play out when it comes to um racial identity in schools considering the fact that a majority of educators are white educators majority of public school students are kids of color like it it just tell us uh, your thoughts and how that plays out and again like how does it play out are there you know is nine one one a joke? Is school too?
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, that's that's a very fair question. And and you know, being a white educator myself, and and working, you know, at this point, the the one school that I spend the most time at is is all students of color. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, and I've been there, you know, working with them for about five years, and you know, I learn something every day. I mean, just in mm-hmm. terms of, I, I think in terms of what it's like to be a student of color, you know, at this time and place, or just in yeah. general. Um, yeah. not a lived experience that I've had and sort of understanding because the kids that I work with are um, preparing to go to predominantly white schools. And then we work with them. We consult with them while they're at those high schools and colleges. You know, we have like a 10-year follow-up program um, oh, that wow. we do. um hearing about what it's like. And it is so different
0: mm. from
2: what my experience was as a white student in a predominantly white school. Wow. Um, yeah and so i think you know um for the for those kids that i am talking with and kind of hearing their stories um a lot of it is like who who do they feel they are and who do they feel they are in relation to the dominant culture and how does that racial stuff get played out at school yeah. with teachers with students the students that i know the students of color in in white schools um for the most part i think are incredibly sort of thoughtful and patient and willing to, I mean, to a certain extent, put up with a lot, um, mm-hmm. but also sort of give people a chance and a fair shot, you know, mm-hmm. white teachers or white students make- In
0: decisions. terms of when things kind of happen that are sort of upsetting, but they're, they're willing to say, okay, like maybe this, maybe they were having a bad day or something like that. They're more I mean, likely that's to
2: the way they were raised, or maybe mm. they better. I'm not talking about egregious incidents, but a lot yeah. of things that I hear about or the insensitivities are they're not egregious. They're not like extreme. They're sort of microaggressions or maybe a little bit worse than that, but yeah. they're things that are very hurtful. Yeah. Um, and very upsetting. And I find that kid, just kids in general, all kids are sort of always willing to give people a chance to make it right, you know, yeah. and to try to understand. Um, but it's a struggle, you know, I think to sort of, what I find with the kids I work with is to hold on to your own identity and culture and feel good about it. And also in some way, assimilate to a white majority place yeah. so that you can fit and get the benefits, but not lose yourself. It's like a, you know, yeah. many years of sort of thinking and feeling and processing. you With yeah. the kids that I know.
0: Yeah, that's fine. I'm. I'm really happy. Like you wrote a chapter that you can discuss and that you know what's sure. in it.
1: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> some of
0: us have been following uh, some trends on social media where you have people who write whole books about things that they can't define uh, when they're asked <laughs> to. <laughs> i wonder who that would be yeah, yeah i don't know i don't know it's it's an interesting thing uh kevin this is great isn't it um yes. the person who who seems to be familiar with their own book They're, yes yes <laughs> no but I, I think i think that's exactly right i think that um so i think about this incredible uh scholar that i was able to take classes with um dr lolita tabron who who wrote an, an incredible article it's a mixed methods article. Um, where she outlines the racial opportunity cost of black students who go to predominantly white schools. And
1: it it is
0: deep. And so kind of what you're referring to is, is these negotiations that happen a lot. And a lot of times, you know, these young people are displaying a level of grace that hasn't always been given to them. And I think that's, that's, uh, that's really deep. Um, yeah so uh, we're gonna get you out of here soon um but one of the things that has uh been on my mind as as I've as I've kind of looked through parts of the book is that so there's this national narrative right that teachers are trying to hide things from parents yeah. that there's a secret conversation going on between your impressionable kids and these um, What are they? What I'm not going to use the G word, but uh, these leftists, these dangerous (laughs) radicals who are being fed propaganda by their unions, et cetera. Um, One thing that I know from some of the work that I've been doing in the Voices for Honest Education Fellowship is that, you know, the overwhelming majority of parents who were surveyed, it was an Ipsos poll from a couple months ago, uh, really feel safe and feel positively towards the schools that their children attend and the teachers that their students have and then embrace race says that something like 80% of parents want their kids to understand the value of diversity understand the value of collaboration and reflection and you know really becoming a good person and that kind of thing so in your work where are you seeing what are the ways in which you're seeing communities just coming together for kids
2: yeah i mean can you be a little more specific about yeah
0: so so i so when we talk about um educators as first responders i guess i should have started with this (laughs) um so um when we talk about educators as first responders we know that given we know that most parents have positive um sort of feelings about the schools that their kids attend in that kind of thing so um, so when it really comes down to it, um, are you seeing that there's that they're, they're, that teachers' interventions are working in a positive way when it comes to families or is it kind of it's it's a general question, but um, how are you finding that?
2: Well, I think on an individual level, I see lots of situations where um, either families in my practice or the teachers that I know from schools where I consult, Um, have really positive engagement, you know, that a lot of times, you know, a a high school student, for example, who's having trouble, the parent will tell me, you know, their advisor or this one, you know, their English teacher, their chemistry teacher has really been like a pivotal person in helping them Mm -hmm. to, you know, find their way out of a difficult time or manage, you know, complex demands or deal with the parent's own, you know, divorce or other situations. A lot of families find a teacher is a good go-to for their kid. And on a more systemic level, you know, I think one of the things I think kids love, you know, is when schools let them initiate and kind of shape and create what they want in the school, you know, whether it's an affinity group um, about identity, whether it's a peer counseling program where they can gain skills to help support their classmates like letting kids sort of um, guide the way and asking kids what they want. I think a lot of schools forget to ask kids what they want or they, you know, they're almost afraid to find out. I think
1: yeah. um, yep. Yep.
2: kids love, I mean, just like adults, like kids love being asked what they think would be a good project or program yeah. or cause. You know, yeah. that's yep. that gets them, that they buy in when that happens and they have really good ideas.
0: Yeah. Well, the, the the GSAs that I'm aware of, at least in, in our district, were yeah. almost exclusive, were exclusively, as far as I know, started by students. And yeah. so it's one of those things where students were like, there's a particular kind of discourse I want to be a part of, support that I'm seeking, and we just need a teacher to support us meeting in their room. <laughs> You're yeah. right like a yep. faculty
2: advisor but you let the kids do it and the same goes for like racial and ethnic affinity groups like yep. kids just want a space where they can talk to people who get it and yep. where they don't have to worry about you know what anybody else thinks because everybody's kind of to a certain extent in the same boat yeah. um and just share and i i see kids get a lot of benefit out of things like that and and if schools can just support that like you said it's just giving them a room and you know yeah. maybe a couple snacks or something and they're they yeah right they do all the work. They I
1: do mean, the
0: rest. Yep. Yeah. They yeah.
2: do everything.
0: Right. Okay. Kevin, is that your experience? I know you've sponsored, um, you've sponsored a good number of light like, co-curricular clubs.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think, you know, it's, it's always interesting because and, and this goes back to your, your, your point, Gerardo, too, about the way people are reacting to this stuff, is that it's really what students want. Right. And, and, and when parents are upset that, like, we're talking about the issues that we are in classes, well, it's because that's what the students are interested in. That's what engages them. When we go to some of these traditional kind of uh, curriculums and uh, lessons, they check out this other stuff, you know, like they love to come to BSA or the LSA or the GSA. That's the stuff that they show up for, they get really excited for it. Um, and I think we have to find ways to leverage that stuff because, again, healthy community, right? Healthy community is is proud of their identity, and and teachers share their identity, students share their identity, because I I mean I think we all know representation matters, and 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 we have every type of kid and every type of adult in our school communities. Yeah, I know that this is true. This is true.
0: Yeah. One one thing I wonder if um if you can kind of dig into a little bit with us. So when we when we talk about um the first thing that comes to mind when when I think about first responders is there's lots of kinds of first responders, right? There's firefighters, there's law enforcement, there's EMTs, um, there's crisis counselors in more progressive cities, like those kinds of things. And then there's like a range of different situations that come up. So it could be a situation where a, where a student is actually like in the, in the sort of funny story that I shared early, where a student is really in a kind of a crisis and in this turning point and says, we are going to like, this is what I need to do right now. And I, and so that is where, a child's safety is an issue. And then there's others where students say, man, I'm kind of struggling with something right now. And it may not be something that poses a danger to a person. Do you differentiate between the roles in that? And are there ways that teachers should be thinking differently given the various types of issues that may come up?
2: Yeah, I do differentiate in my own mind. And certainly when I talk to teachers, yeah. I mean, so so I think like um, there's some things that a kid can talk to you about and it's fine if you're the only adult who knows it. You know, like like if they're upset about a breakup or disappointed about a test grade or they have a gripe about their parents even, yep. it's, you can just listen and be there for them. The conversation can end there and it might continue in a two weeks or two months or it might not yeah. And that's fine. I think the kinds of things that, you know, I put in a different category are situations where clearly there's a, you know, health or safety risk, like you said, or a kid who's suicidal or just anything that, this is the kind of test I ask people to use is if you were the parent of that child, Mm. is this information you would feel you need to have And how would you feel knowing that a teacher or another school employee knew it and you didn't? Like, what would that look like if that sort of came out and to kind of, even if you're not a parent yourself, to put yourself in the shoes of a parent and how would you feel? Um, So, Like one of the the situations that's a little bit tricky or sort of borderline is if a kid is doing some kind of self-injury, that's not life threatening and that they don't want to die, you know, it's a fairly common sort of maladaptive coping strategy, Um, you know, scratches or cuts, you know, often on my arm or something like that, you know, is like, to me as a parent, if my child were doing that and I didn't know, and I found out that a teacher knew and I hadn't been alerted to it, I would be very upset and feel Mm -hmm. that that was responsible. So in those situations, you know, I always say like, it's really important that you... Find a way to let the parent know, but talk to the kid about the fact that you have to do that and ask the child, do you want to tell your parents? And then you know, and I'll follow up with them. Do you prefer that I tell your parents? Um, Or, you know, I need to tell someone else in the school, like the counselor or the dean of students, do you want to come with me and say it? Like, give kids choice about how the information gets communicated. But if it's something that you think a parent should know, you've sort of got to find a way to make that happen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm thinking about that with my own kid who is, um, you know, she'll graduate from high school this year, which is wild. I've raised, (laughs) (laughs) I've raised a human to adulthood somehow. (laughs) So not only am I out here unsupervised, she's about to be, (laughs) I don't know if I did it. We'll see. I did something, um, but it, but it is really Claudia interesting. Did
1: it.
0: <laughs> That's, right. That's right. So the thing that I'm like reflecting on is, is like, is there, is there a kind of thing like, well, you know, she's extremely transparent with us and which is yeah. a good thing, but it's got me thinking in my mind, what would be that thing Right. that I would really, really be upset if I didn't know. And, and another adult in her school did know. And I think that's that's some really good food for thought. I'm going to see her thinking. So I'm doing There you it. go. There you go. There you <laughs> go. No, that, that's good stuff.
2: There's so many iterations of like so many ways it can play out. And it also depends on the parents and what you know about the family. I mean, there's some yeah. situations yep. where something's happened with a kid and they give you very compelling reasons why their parents can't know.
1: Yeah. Yep. But, but yep. You
2: have to be assessing your own sort of liability and moral obligations and yeah. policy. And, you know, again, you can always run down the hall and ask the psychologist and don't give details of who it <laughs> is. Like, right. Is it a situation where
0: hypothetically, <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, there's a place for that too, right? I mean, so the book concludes with a section on strengthening the circle around yeah. uh, the students. So without dissuading people from actually supporting your work <laughs> um, what what is it that you would say is key to supporting that circle that um of support for kids
1: yeah,
2: so, yeah. <laughs> yeah circle of support means kind of um inviting and including and engaging all participants in the kind of ecosystem of a child's life so you know, that, that a school doesn't operate like a lot of high schools will sort of try to operate almost as if parents aren't really part of the picture, you know, like we know what we're doing and your kids don't want to talk to you anyway, you know, but to try to keep parents engaged, um, to try to keep students engaged and to try to foster relationships among all the different participants in the school community and keep lines of communication open. I mean, I think that's really how you support kids and model for kids that, good relationships and collaboration are what helps growth and you know kind of fosters success.
0: Yeah, that that modeling piece is so important too because if they see if yeah. if they see situations where people are kind of on their own to deal with whatever they're struggling with, then they're going to think that that's normal and that's the way that we do things. So I didn't even ever think about that as a, as, as a teaching moment. I guess everything's a teaching everything's moment, right? Teaching moment. Yeah. And so you can look at it as like, so what we are doing right now is we're not only intervening to support this young person, we are also demonstrating to them that there is a way to get through hard things and you don't have to do it Alone. Oh my gosh, where was this book when my yeah. teachers were teaching me? Yeah, um, <laughs> that's my yeah, thought. I think
2: that's that's actually really well said, right? You don't have to do it alone. And one of the things we teach our students at the school where I am now, before they go off to you know boarding school or you know other really competitive sort of environments, is you need to learn to ask for help. It's not a sign of weakness. It's yeah. actually a really adaptive strategy, and it will make you succeed. And you know, we'll spend the whole year that we have with them helping them learn how to ask for help.
1: Wow, so important, wow. so yeah. important. No, and big. it's like one of the big sides, like I see in my students, whenever they can ask for help, uh, especially on big things, you know, not just like assignments, yes. but big things in life that they're dealing with. Like, I'm just like, you're, you're impressive. It, it's yeah. a very mature yeah. and, uh, you know, like just very actualized kind of move
2: yeah, I, that's, yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, it's really commendable, right? Yeah,
1: that's great.
0: I, I guess the last thing that I think um, we we want to ask for our audience is like, so right now, given that we are we are experiencing, I'm gonna call it a teacher shortage. I know that's not what other people want to call it,, uh, but that's what I'm gonna call it., um, we do not have enough um, adults in classrooms. Um, Kevin can tell you stories for days about being pulled from one thing to cover another thing. How can teachers embrace (laughs) this role as a first responder without just completely burning out and experiencing the kind of fatigue we talked about at the top?
2: Yeah, so that's a great question. You kind of an ongoing question. I think it's a little bit what we try to teach the kids, right, is that don't fly solo. You know, you don't have to go it alone. Um, find support for yourself. Sometimes that's colleagues that you go out for beer with after work. Sometimes yeah. it's a spouse or a partner. Sometimes it's a therapist. Sometimes it's a parent or an adult child, you know, depending on who you are, where you live, what your connections are, you know, it yeah. can that works for you. Um, yeah. I really encourage teachers to find one person they can talk to about their work. So as a mm. psychologist, for many many years until the person actually retired i had a supervisor a clinical supervisor i met with her every single week and i talked you know for probably 15 years yeah. and talked to her about the kids i was seeing in my practice and and i got so much out of that relationship not just technical advice about what to do what to say but just about my own growth and development and it kept yeah. me getting overwhelmed and burning out because mm. someone kind of was there for me yeah um, and so whether you have to, you know, hire someone or your school, you know, I encourage schools to have like faculty mentors for new faculty, you know, people that or sometimes it happens just spontaneously and organically. You find a more experienced teacher that you like to go to, invite yeah. that person to go get a drink or whatever, because
1: yeah.
2: to talk to people, you can't just take it all home with you and not have anywhere to share it. Yeah.
1: Yep. I know. So- so important that's 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 like i think like how me and gerardo first bonded i think so i was just thinking the same thing and and maybe professional development having to talk about like what we were going through and like
0: and maybe you'll find somebody and you'll start a podcast and you'll have awesome guests like dr deborah offner on that's it who will tell you that what you did was actually a really adaptive thing and really great
1: yeah Yeah.
0: sorry kev i cut you off man yeah
1: no 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 problem at all so, Dr. Offner, uh, um, we just have one final question. It is yeah. our tradition question here at Two Teachers in a Mic. Uh, yes. As I said before, we are we are uh, hip hop fans uh, yeah. to, to our deep in our bone, but we know not everybody is, but we would I mean, love fans to ask you- Fans is not the you, right word, but. Uh, we, you know, we, we know everybody has has a passion a musical passion. So we, we are wondering if you would like to share with us and, and if you want to take it some other way. And I'll give some like ramifications for it all or, or like rules, ramifications. I don't know. Something. Uh, <laughs> parameters. There are parameters. There we go. Parameters. I'm like, what word are you looking for? I don't know, man. It is <laughs> it is Monday night. Uh, but... Um, you you want to know what I'm listening to? We want to know. Yep. We asked for a top five, but some people right. like can't they can't like give it a uh, hierarchy to it all right okay. so if you want to yeah. just put it like all five are on the same level if you want to talk about you know just like what are you listening to right now that's your top five that's on repeat over and over yeah, uh, it doesn't have
0: to be hierarchy. wherever you, you know. want
1: to go wherever right. you want to go and if it's more right. than five that's fine too oh <laughs>
2: yeah i'm gonna give you five artists because i'm not good with like the names of songs and i Brilliant.
1: just. Wanna-
2: <laughs> So I'm gonna say like the I'm just looking at my phone here for my. Playlist. There you go.
0: That's the way. That's the way. Very phone good. Don't lie. <laughs> That's it.
2: So the artists that I have most recently are um, the
0: 1975.
1: Oh, there goes wow! Good. All right, I love it. You're good
2: uh, Death Cab for Cutie. Yes.
0: Yo. That's oh right. my. God. I. I. Yep. Um, I always want to comment on these. I'm like, I just gotta listen to <laughs> these. <top five.
2: laughs> um, uh, Florence and the Machine. Yes. Um Sam Fender. Uh, I don't know if you know him. Sam, I don't Fender.
1: Know. Sam Fender. Sam Fender? I don't know
0: Sam Fender.
2: Yeah, Sam Fender's really good. You gotta check him out. You related I'd to Freddie Fender? Uh I don't think. <laughs> uh, young. I don't
0: think Freddie Fender was his name either. So
2: <laughs> he's kind of a young like alt-rock artist. Um okay. and Let's then um uh Wild Rivers.
0: Wild I Rivers. i am familiar with Wild Rivers. I feel like you and my daughter should go to a concert because I should think it in <laughs> all like yeah. the same same musical taste, which but is no, my taste is like
2: pretty immature, but yeah, but it's what I like. <laughs> oh that's no,
0: no, good. We call, no, we call no. that young of heart. At least that's yeah. what I say when that's I, I get called immature. I'm like I am young at heart. <laughs> I'm that's, immature. Yeah, that's they're right. not mutually exclusive. Um, right. Dr. Deborah Offner, thank you so much for coming on Two Dope Teachers and a Mic to talk about the book. Tell us about the book. Tell us where we can find your work, where we can find the book, and oh. uh, how people can can follow your ideas.
2: Yeah, and thanks so much for having me. So, um, if you go to my website, which is deborahoffnerphd um, and I can send that along to you if you want to put it like in the show notes. Um, yeah,
0: we'll put it in the show notes for sure. And,
2: um, uh, it shows how to order it. You can get it on Amazon. You know, that's the easiest, obviously, for many reasons. But if you prefer not to use Amazon, like I have indie books on there and, you know, other sorts of more, you know, progressive opportunities for purchasing. Um, yep. So there's like bookshop.org. There's a few like links right on the site you can get it at. Um, nice. Or you can just Google it on the publisher's website, Rutledge um on my website there's tons of information about the book there's reviews of it um and different kinds of information about my speaking and consulting and stuff like that so i'd say my website
0: yeah that's brilliant and uh do you have social medias that are open to people
2: um yeah so linkedin is probably the best way to find me
0: great yeah yeah awesome well we really thank you for joining us this evening um we'd love to connect back with you and just learn about how this work is continuing um folks the book is educators as first responders the author is dr deborah offner and um run out and get that y'all like we were we were able to secure copies and it's i'll tell you it's it's really insightful even if you feel like you have it under control which we never do um it's powerful for me to have named some of the things that i learned to do um and to grow in those ways so it's amazing Um, we also like to take our guests out with um with a little tradition Um, i ramble for just a little bit and then uh all together to the extent that it's possible given internet connections we all say stay dope together so um if that's okay with you so for the lovely and talented Kevin Adams. For the brilliant and accomplished Dr. Deborah Offner, author of Educators as First Responders. We are asking you to stay aware, stay taking care of yourself, stay kind to yourself and the people around you, stay seeking support, stay seeking community, stay strengthening the circle, but above and beyond, most importantly, make sure that you always stay, stay
1: Dope!